adjustment by doing this. A little lower. How's that? Oh, that's better, isn't it? You can still hear me, right? Okay, great. Well, um, before I get the message, just a quick word about this week in the United States. I'm um, not going to say really much about that at this point other than to let you know that during our prayers of the people, you might want to just note that I'm going to come up and lead us through a time of prayer and um, pray a collect from the prayer book and just kind of take this time and offer it to the Lord in light of what Scripture tells us to lift up those in authority and rulers. And I'll read that text from 1 Timothy and remind us of that. But I think as God's people right now today, we're here to meet with the Lord and focus on him. But our greatest duty is to pray. And our greatest calling is to do that today as we gather in the Lord's house. So with that, let's get into today's message. So my um, oldest son, uh, when he's about one, he's 27 now, the Lion King came out. And I don't think it's overstating to say that he was utterly and completely obsessed with the Lion King. So basically from like early 1995 or late 1994, that movie came a little earlier, but that's when he got into it. We had the, the VHS tape of that. I'd come home. I'd go, Dylan, what do you want to do? Two words. Lion King. Over and over and over. So it's an old movie. I'm going to do an illustration from it. But even you young people know the Lion King, right? It's not that old. We all know it, right? Good, good. So I probably have watched this a hundred times. Feels like 10,000 times. Um, it's a wonderful movie, but I really never need to see it again. I've seen it many, many times. But if you know the story, the heart of it is the lion Simba. And he's, he's the son of the king, and he loses his way. He loses his way because of a corrupt kind of official in his father, Misophis' kingdom. And he ends up escaping Pride Land because he thinks he killed his father. Right? We've all seen this. I'm not going to do any spoilers. This won't ruin it for you. And if you haven't, it's 30 years old. You need to see the movie. It's not my fault if you haven't seen it yet. So he ends up going to the jungle. He makes buddies with these two animals. And they're doing all the Hakuna Matata stuff. And, and, but there comes a point when Rafiki shows up. And he talks to Simba. He basically tells him the truth. And in his essence says, what are you doing? You're a king. What are you doing here? You're the king. Why are you playing Kakuna Matata with your buddies? You're the king. It's time to go to Pride Land and be the king. See, as long as Simba thought he wasn't worthy to be king or that he couldn't be king, he lived in the jungle having a good time with his buddies. But once he knew and learned and had it reinforced that he was king, his whole identity changed and became a different lion. It's the heart of the story of the Lion King. And one of the lessons, there's other lessons, but one of the lessons is that you live based on who you think you are. One of the lessons is you live based on who you think you are. And actually, it's just, it's just a human truth. It's just a fact of life. We all live based on who we think we are. Today is the first Sunday in Epiphany. It's the Sunday where we celebrate the baptism of Jesus. 
And epiphany means manifestation or kind of a, an unveiling. And, and the central thing that happens in all four Gospels at Jesus' baptism is who he really is is revealed. He goes into the waters, he comes out, and the Father speaks. And it's like a curtain is just torn open. And this one who just looks like another person in the Judean countryside coming for baptism, we find out three things about him. We found out he's the Father's beloved. We found out he's the Father's son. We found out he's the Father's pleasure. The Father's beloved, the Father's son, and the Father's pleasure. And this language that the Father speaks over Jesus kind of has two sources. Part of it comes from the story of Israel. You see, God called Israel to be those three things. But Israel failed. And so one way to understand the coming of Jesus is he's he's come to fulfill what Israel never did fulfill. To be God's son. God said, out of Egypt, I called my son Israel. To be God's beloved. God said, Israel, I chose you because I love you. You're my beloved. I've set my covenant love on you. And to bring pleasure to God through doing the Father's will. But it goes way back beyond the story of Israel into eternity as well. Because Jesus, as we know from John 1 and other places in Scripture, isn't just a man who sort of became the Son of God. He is one of the persons of the Trinity who took on humanity, God the Son. And so from all eternity, God the Son was God the Father's beloved. From all eternity, God the Son was God's Son. From all eternity, God the Son was God's pleasure. And now that veil's being opened, God's declaring that truth about who Jesus is, and that out of that eternal truth, He's going to fulfill something for Israel and, we learn later, for all nations. He's going to be God's beloved. He's going to be God's son. He's going to be God's pleasure. And in Jesus' baptism, we learn who he is. Now here's the lesson for us. Here's the lesson for us. It's your baptism that tells you who you are. It's your baptism that tells you who you are. There's a long list of places people can go to draw identity, right? It's, it's a huge question in our culture. It drives so many things. And one of the, the key ideas in our culture is that you look in yourself and find your identity. And that's, that's, that's one thing, sort of who am I really? And I find it in here. Or we look outward and we look, well, I'm going to have a career or a family or I'm a member of a certain political party or a nation or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There are all these places we can look to define who I am. And for all human beings, some of those things are always true. For example, even for a disciple. I'm a disciple who happens to be born in the United States. It's not just where I happen to live. It's shaped who I am. But it's not the most important thing about me. The most important thing about me is that I'm baptized. The most important thing about you is that you're baptized. And it's your baptism that tells you who you are. And it tells you three things. It tells you exactly what it told Jesus. You are God's beloved. You are God's child. You are God's pleasure. You are God's beloved. You are God's child. 
and you are God's pleasure. Now, the reason that's true is this. Baptism is both a sign and a means of doing what we call, kind of a fancy word, incorporating us into Jesus. In other words, when you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. The same Spirit that made God man in Jesus, the same Spirit Jesus sent at Pentecost, that he comes to live in you, and you become like this with Jesus. And part of what that does for you is this. Whoever Jesus is before the Father is who you and I get to be before the Father. It's the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of the gospel that we are in Christ. It's just a way of expressing this idea that that the Father's heart set on Jesus is his heart set on you. And it's your baptism that tells you that's true. Your baptism tells you who you are. And it tells you, you are God's beloved, you are God's child, and you're God's pleasure. So, that's an amazing truth. What do we do with it? How do we live it out? How do we put it into action? First thing we do is we choose to believe that we're God's beloved. Every word I said is important. We choose to believe that we're God's beloved. It's tempting to not believe that, isn't it? Some of us, it's more tempting than others. Some of us, it's easier to believe than others. But the truth is, there are a lot of things that happen in life that can make us think we're not really God's beloved. We're not really the one he set his covenant love on. And so we don't just accidentally believe it. We have to make a choice. We have to choose to believe it day by day and walk in it. Now, what can get in the way of that? What can get in the way of us believing we're God's beloved? And I think it's that we forget that that's just who God is. It's not even really, it's probably not even right to say that God sets his love on us. That's a Bible way to talk about it because we're restricted by our own language. We talk about God. But everything that God is, he just is. God never becomes. If he becomes and he's less than perfect, then he's not God. That's, that's an important theological lesson, by the way. Really, really important, actually. So he doesn't become or come to love us. He is just love. And he cannot help but look at you. Look at me. Look at us. Is his beloved. And there's two things that drive it. First of all, I'm his beloved because I'm created by him. Made in his image. And God loves everything that he made. But second, I'm his beloved because I'm in Jesus. I'm in Jesus. And here's part of what that means. And I, this is a great mystery. And I don't even know if you can, I can get my head around it. You can, but, but, but just to ponder it is, is, is amazing. I think the right way to understand this isn't that sort of there's God the Father and he just loves Jesus. Then he sort of goes, oh, yeah, I kind of love you too, but I'm really into Jesus. And I kind of love you too, but I'm really into Jesus. It's it's more like the very same eternal love, that stuff that the Father sets on Jesus, that's on you. That's who you are to him. 
It's not another love. It's not like there's 10 different loves in God. God is love. He loves. And so imagine the love God the Father has had for all eternity, an everlasting, infinite, divine love for Jesus. That's the love he set on you. Your baptism tells you that. Your baptism tells you who you are. And it tells you you are his beloved. Therefore, choose to believe you are God's beloved. Choose to believe it. Right now. Day by day. Moment by moment. Walk in that truth. Second. Second way we put this into practice. We, we live at our baptism is we, we choose to believe that we are God's child. We choose to believe that we're God's child. And here's, here's what that's getting at. There is a, you know, a practice to sort of talk about all God's children. You know that kind of phrase? It's not an evil thing. In a sense, everyone's created by God and God loves everyone. So there's a sense where that's true. But in the Bible, when the Bible says we are sons and daughters of God, that's not what it's talking about. That only applies to those who are baptized into Jesus. And what it's saying is this. God the Son, Jesus, is the only begotten of the Father. That's why he's intrinsically divine. But there's a whole family of others that God has brought into the family of God, into the family of the Trinity, and they are adopted sons and daughters. Adopted sons and daughters. So we are not intrinsically divine. We are created, but our status is exactly the same as God the Son before the Father. If I adopt a child, they may not be biologically connected. The minute the adoption happens, they are fully, 100% my child, just like my biological children would be. And so when God says, you are adopted, that's what he's saying to you. He's saying, I'm going to treat you like I treat my son, Jesus. In fact, in Romans 8, when it talks about this, it says we are adopted and we are, as this, co-heirs. I'll tell you what we're going to inherit. Everything. All of creation is put in the hands of Jesus Christ. When we, when we are baptized into him, when we put our faith in him, we become co-inheritors of everything the Father has given Jesus. Your baptism tells you who you are. And it tells you you are a child. Therefore, choose to believe you are his child and walk in that. Walk in that. Now, I know there's some who their experience as a child was negative. All of us have some negative experiences in our childhood because, you know, our parents were sinners. I've been a parent. You know what I figured about myself? I'm a sinner. And I, didn't, I got a lot of stuff wrong as a parent. We all do. That's inevitable. But some of us, it's a real, a real deep brokenness. And it makes it hard for us to see this truth. For some, it, there's trauma with it. And I think to, to get into this truth, you need serious professional help to work through that. For some of us, it's just that, you know, we just didn't come from the best family. And it's hard to work through this. But, but the best way, if we're not in bondage with trauma, to heal that is to look to the Father who loves you as a son, loves you as a daughter, claims you as a son, claims you as a daughter. 
One of the most profound moments in my life, and it's been repeated three times, but the first time it happened, it was unexpected, was when I first saw my son Dylan. It happened with all my other kids too, but I knew it was going to happen. I didn't expect it, and it was this. Every other person in my life I love, I had to come to love. Even my parents, I had to come to know them and love them. But the moment I saw my son, I loved him with everything in me. Why? Why? Because he was mine. No other explanation. It's just, that's the way it works, isn't it? That's the way it works with God the Father. You are his. You are his beloved. You are his child. That's the love he sets on you because you are in Jesus Christ. Your baptism tells you who you are. Therefore, choose to believe that you are God's child. And then lastly, lastly, your baptism tells you who you are. Therefore, choose to believe that you are God's pleasure. In him, I'm well pleased. This might be maybe the hardest one to believe. I mean, think about this. God runs the whole universe. Roughly 8 billion people on earth right now. That's a lot to think about. I'm just one of them. What can I matter? What can I matter? And I can see how Jesus is that important to the Father. Because, you know, he's God the Son who's been incarnate. So that's easy. But me, I'm just, I'm just another, another one. Just another one of billions. Just living on earth. Putting my time in until it's my turn to be gone. You know? Problem is, if you think that, you're completely shrinking God. God is infinite. I can't put my head around that, but what it tells me is it's just not a problem for him to look at each one of us with the exact same pleasure he has in Jesus. It's the pleasure he sets on you. You're his beloved. You're his child. You're his pleasure. And he is pleased with you. Now, I think there's one place, one way this can get tripped up that actually is probably is, there's, there's, a, there's a confusion about something that's true. So I grew up in a household with mom and dad, and I had the sense that my parents liked me, loved me, and you know, they found pleasure in me. However, I'm keenly aware there were things I did that the actions did not please them. And at moments, I suffered the consequences of those actions. My parents never quit being pleased in me, but they were not pleased with certain behaviors. And so as Christians, we know, well, 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 Father Pete, like, if I'm God's pleasure, but I sin, am I still in his pleasure? Yeah, you still are. Doesn't mean he's happy about the sin you just committed. In fact, the reason he's not pleased with that is because he, you are his pleasure, because he delights in you so much and he claims you so closely to his heart that when he sees sin, it's so destructive to you and it drives you away from him that he wants to deal with that. The book of Hebrews addresses this so well. It says, look, look, if you're a follower of Jesus and you walk into sin, you'll experience discipline. You might experience some negative things. That's just a sign of the Father loving you. He loves you so much, he won't let you get away. He won't let you get away. You know, I think it's possible for us to walk away from our faith, but I think God never walks away from us. We may say no to him, but he'll never say no to us. That's who he is. And you, regular old you, 
which really is a lie. There's no regular old you. Every single person here is amazing. Every single person here, as C.S. Lewis once said, if, if I could see what you're going to be when you appear to Jesus, I'd be tempted to worship you. It says in the Psalms that each one of us are fearfully, wonderfully made, that God knit us together in our mother's womb. You're not just the result of chance processes. You, specifically, created by God. You, specifically, redeemed by God. It's a cliche statement, but it is so absolutely true. If you're the only person living, Jesus would have come and died for you on the cross. It's true. If it's not true, then the gospel's not true. That's how the Father feels about you. And your baptism, I keep pointing back there because there's a baptismal font right there in front of me. Your baptism tells you that. What the Father says to Jesus, he says to you. And so our call is to choose to believe it. It's like Simba. It's like Simba. It's easy to go to the jungle, to have fun, do some hakuna matata, and ignore who we really are. But then when we do that, we end up living in a way that contradicts who we are. But when we choose to believe, as Simba did, he had a moment where he chose to believe, then he acted on it and he kept believing it. It changed who he was. He once again became the king that he really was. The Christian life isn't just bootstrapping your way into obedience, although the choice to obey is a critically important aspect, but it's rooted in and fueled in who you are. Who you are, because we live in light of who we are. And dear friends, your baptism tells you who you are. It tells you that you are God's beloved. It tells you you're God's child. It tells you you are God's pleasure. Right now, receive that. Choose to believe in, in it and walk in it. Amen.